Hi, my name is Matt. I am a compulsive overeater. I'll, hi, guys. I'll qualify. I have 13 years of abstinence. I'm down 160 pounds from the top weight by the grace of this program. And um, I, re- I I want to read today's for today because I think it's really pertinent to, like, something my, my first sponsor said to me very early on in recovery. Okay. Uh, to know and yet think we do not know is the highest attainment. Not to know and yet think we do know is a disease. In the days before I came to Overeaters Anonymous, when I was responsible for running the world, it was unthinkable to admit I didn't have answers for everything. The three least used words in my vocabulary were, I don't know. What a relief to leave the job of directing the universe to God. With my disease of food addiction arrested one day at a time, I have the courage and humility to say, I don't know. For today, may I have the wisdom to remain teachable. And uh, the thing that stuck out to me is just the part where it says, for today, may I have the wisdom to remain teachable. And when I was when I was new in recovery, my first sponsor said to me, he goes, as long as you are willing and teachable, I'll work with you. That's what he said. As long as you're willing and teachable, I'll work with you. And for me, if I'm going to admit that I'm powerless over compulsive overeating, there's a real willingness and a desire to do my life differently and to have a different experience than the one that I had had. Um, when I was new, I... Uh, I had like 20 minutes. So I'm like, I, think of, I was like, oh, I guess I'll share my the whole story. Normally, I don't even do that anymore because it's like it's not as interesting to me anymore. But um, so I came into the rooms 13 years ago, right when I graduated from college. I moved out to LA. I had an opportunity for some free housing uh, through my school while I was kind of transitioning, and um, and uh, I was over 200 pounds, um, well over 200 pounds. No, well over 300 pounds. And um, I uh, I couldn't get a job. And I was compulsively eating. I had some money. I was using my money for food instead of saving for my apartment or saving for a car. I had a rental car at the time. Um, my For whatever reason, I knew I was eating compulsively and I couldn't stop. And then what ended up happening was um, through different, different means, I uh, ended up um, going to an OA meeting and, um, and sorry, I'm trying to just catch myself. Um, I ended up going to an OA meeting and, uh, uh, you know what? I hate telling it. So I have everyone's story. I hit a bottom. I was 340 pounds. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't find a place to live. I was almost homeless. I uh, was in a part. I was in a hotel room at one point with a rental car, and I didn't have any place to live. I got into Overeaters Anonymous. Within two weeks, I was abstinent. I had a job, and I got an apartment. That, at the end of the day, like that's the sum of my story of how I got into Overeaters Anonymous. I got a sponsor right away. I got someone who was thin, and that's what I thought I wanted. And I got onto a very rigid abstinence when I was new. Uh, that was kind of connected to this other group that was kind of doing this kind of like a fraternity thing where they were all eating the same thing. And I lost a lot of weight really fast. Uh, I got to have the experience in Overeaters Anonymous of, um, you know, at the time I came in, there really weren't that many men. Um, there were there were a couple men that I found, but I felt like to be a straight man at my age in Overeaters Anonymous, there weren't there weren't that many of us. And um, so. 
I was dealing with having lost the weight, having women make inappropriate comments to me in the rooms, experiencing that, getting attention, like all, all of the stuff that comes. It's basically when you, for me, getting abstinent meant like I went through puberty in a year. That's what it feels like. You feel like you just, you have the experience of everything of puberty and adolescence, but it happens very condensed. That was, that was my experience. And, um, cause I came in when I was like 21. So it was also pretty young to come in and, you know, the amazing thing for me about people always said to me, um, thank God you got it young. And I'm like, well, no, it just means I was in that much pain. That's just like, <laughs> just means my life was that bad. I needed this at such a young age. Um, and, and the thing that was hard for me, uh, coming in young into the program was I was, you know, trying to do life absently, but also having to learn normal everyday things growing up in program, you know, where other people who are a little older have some life experience that they have to tell them, Hey, you're going to get through this. So like, I remember feeling this anxiety all the time in my, in my recovery. Um, I'm so used to standing up when I speak at meetings and I feel like I want to like, Stand up, so um, you know, I I, I kind of want to talk about uh, one of my favorite parts in the big book. Um, there's a, you know, the my sponsor said to me the main purpose of this book is to enable you to find a power greater than yourself. It says that in the big book, and it took me a really long time to understand what that meant. And even 13 years in, I'm still having to define what what is that for me? What is this power that's greater than myself? And I'm having to realize, and I always kind of want to have this definitive idea of, of what that higher power is to me. And the reality is that higher power is only going to become clear to me through the experiences that I have in my life. And uh, that idea of my higher power continues to change over time as well. And um, one of my first experiences with kind of feeling in touch with my higher power was when I went home to make amends and like the steps are in an order for a reason. And, um, when I went home to make amends to my family, I had flown home. I had a letter that I read to each of them and, uh, it was powerful and it was, it was an inter- it was a beautiful experience. But coming back when I was on the airplane and I'm, we're hitting the Grand Canyon, I'm looking out over the Grand Canyon and, and the thought occurred to me, Matt, you've done good. Like, it was the first time that a positive, I had had that experience of a positive thought came from my head about me. And it was, Matt, you've done, you've done good. And that's a result of working the steps and doing the work here, you know. Um, there's the spiritual experience we have as the result of working the steps. But I also feel like there's a spiritual experience we have by taking the action and showing up and doing the work. One of my sponsors said we, it's a, it's, um, we live in a physical world. So how do we manifest these steps? How do we, we live in a physical world. So how do we manifest these spiritual principles in a physical way in our lives? And that for me is exactly what the 12 steps do. That's what the tools are about. That's what the fellowship is about. Um, you know, service has been a huge part of my recovery a year. I, I love, I've seen all these people here at this meeting are all people who knew me like very well in my first two years. Guys, I, I was fucking nuts. I was insane. I was like 21. I had lost all this weight. I didn't know how, like I was on this really rigid absence that I'm not on now. 
And I, and then like a year into my absence, I was like a delegate for me and Terrell nominated me to be on the board. And I was like, uh, uh my sponsor at the time was like service, you do, you do service. And, and, and the thing is the way the, the gift of this fellowship works is, you know, um, I want to just say Terrell had come in young as well. So like, I, I feel like he had seen something in me and, and what I needed. And so here I am one year of absence, having lost all this weight. And then now I'm on the board and talk about learning principles before personalities. It was the first opportunity for me to say, all right, because it's easy for me in recovery to put myself in a bubble and not really have to test my recovery. And for me, being on the board really put me in a position of, okay, this is how you don't eat when you don't, when you have a hard time with people, you know, when personalities become an issue and basically it's me dealing with my codependency issues that's really what being on the board helped me help me work through and um and uh so i got to do a lot of service i ended up going to world service uh for for several years i was the young person's chair for several years i got to have a huge part in making the book about body image sexuality and relationships um through service i got to see like how uh how abrasive I can be and how mean I can be because if people don't agree with me, I'm going to let you know why I think the, the way I think. And I, I did that. I triggered some people at World Service. I don't know if everyone can say they've done that, but I have. So, <laughs> I mean, but I've also through that, the experience I got to have at World Service was all these people got me and they let me have that space. And even when I knew that I messed up, they still be like, we love you, and you're okay. Like, I called an emergency business meeting of the board because I wasn't happy with something they did. <laughs> I still think I was in the right, though, but because I wanted to make my point about about how they were spending their money. <laughs> so, anyways, I was like, I'm going to leave my mark here whether they like it or not. But, uh, so, uh through that experience, I've had a lot of different sponsors, and not a lot of different sponsors in this program. I've had sponsors that I've stuck, I've really stuck with. And one sponsor said to me, he goes, you're not, um, I'm not doing my, he goes, if you don't have resentment towards me, then I'm not doing my job. And I, I think that I used to really agree with that. And a huge part of my recovery over time was, you know, I had a sponsor who I had a very rigid abstinence. And when I was new, I really needed that experience so that I could kind of understand um, boundaries and, and a sense of discipline. And it really gave me that opportunity of experiencing, you know, each meal we have is a spiritual experience. And like, that's for me is the gift that we don't necessarily have in, in other programs where like, you could say like, Oh, that's saying, what's that saying about, I got to take the tiger out three times a day. Like, you know, or or the whole idea is, you know what, no, I have an opportunity to have three meals a day to have a spiritual experience. And I think that that's the reality of it and the gift that we get in OA that maybe other people don't get in other programs is that we have we have we have built in opportunities three times a day to have to be conscious and present with ourselves and and with a higher power and, and staying and staying abstinent. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about what's going on in the world right now. And um, one of the things that in, the, in the back of the big book, um, there, one of the stories, I can't, I've been trying to look for it and I can't find it, but it says, um, it talks about how, you know, my absence or my sobriety has nothing to do with what's going on in my life. Like, they're on two separate lines. And um, I really believe in that. I really believe in, 
you know, we call it abstinence, but I really love calling it sobriety. I feel sober with my food today. Do I have days where I don't feel like my recovery is very strong? Absolutely. Do I have days where I eat more than I want to? Sure, absolutely. Um, but I'm sober with my food, and I make calls when I need to, and I do I do the work that I need to do. Um, but the reality is, the re- for me, the 12 traditions of, oh, thanks, John, um, 450 and 451, actually. Um, okay, then I realized that I had to separate my sobriety from everything else that was going on in my life. No matter what happened or didn't happen, I couldn't drink. In fact, none of these things that I was going through had anything to do with my sobriety. The tides of life flow endlessly for better or worse, both good and bad. And I cannot allow my sobriety to become dependent on these ups and downs of living. Sobriety must live a life of its own. I love that. That that for me is is what this is about. And like the whole idea is if we also combine the traditions with our recovery and our abstinence, they tell us what to do. All this shit going on in the world, to be honest, is an outside issue. It is an outside issue to my sobriety. And I have to have that. I have to, for me, I have to be stern about that and honest about that. Because the reality is, like, God is still working in my life regardless of what outside issue is going on. And that's really important for me to remember. Do I have a lot of pain and sadness and grief around what's going on in our world right now? Absolutely. And I think I can only do more in my recovery by allowing myself the space to feel those feelings. Because that is what connects me to the rest of the world and to the rest of of humanity. You know, for me, uh, I came into this program a very angry man. Um, I was, I was, you know, sober for the first time. I didn't know what I was doing. And, um, here's some of the things I've gone through in, in my sobriety. I, I got married when I was 20, uh, 28 and divorced a year and a half later, you know, joined that club pretty early. Um, and then I, uh, I got into another relation. I got into another relationship, um, that was very toxic that um there is i was verbally abusive she was physically abusive this is all in sobriety and in recovery because the reality is is like it's not perfect and you can work all your steps and you can still be an asshole so that's that's one thing that i've had to really own for myself and um so that relationship ended very sadly got me into another program um i had to really come to terms with the fact that i also struggled with sex and love addiction um, I, uh, then got into another relationship after that, that was, you know, for me, a very healthy, sober relationship that lasted two and a half years. And about eight months ago, we broke up. And, uh, my experience with that was, you know, one thing I was so proud of in my recovery is I had never had a panic attack. Like people in recovery, like you'll hear me, is like, oh, I had a panic attack. I was like, I was like, I've never had a panic attack. And I got 13 years of, of, right. Man, when this breakup happened, she was also she's also someone who was in recovery. I thought we were going to get married and have kids. We were talking about all that stuff. Um, I had gotten rid of all my stuff in my apartment so because she had money and she her parents bought us all this stuff. And I had my first panic attacks. I'm sitting there realizing none of this shit is mine anymore. And I was like, oh my god, I have nothing. I have nothing. And um, I made the mistake. I, I didn't want to call my friends because I was worried they would call an ambulance. So instead, I called my parents, which is not a good idea either. So. I did that, and uh, 
And, you know, that was eight months ago. And, and I, I maintained my sobriety through that. Um, you know, and to be honest, the relationship stuff is very surface stuff that I've been through. Um, I've been through some serious loss in my life. Um, my younger brother three years ago uh, killed himself. That was something that I went through. I had I went home. I sat with my parents at the funeral home and helped plan his 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 arrangements because my parents had a hard time doing it. Um, and I stayed abstinent through that. I stayed sober through that. And um, that is a gift of this program. And it's also a willingness to show up and to do the work. And again, with, you know, my spirituality only grows through experience. And I hate that because there's so many things that I just want to get. Um, one thing that I still struggle with is, you know, I really want a partner. I want to get married and I want to have kids. And I'm 36. And I don't have that. And I have this real fear that it will never happen for me. And in that fear of it'll never happen for me is control. And there's not surrender. And this amazing opportunity with the quarantine and where we're at right now, I'm choosing to like not date any, not date, what am I going to do? FaceTime date? I tried that. That was weird. So, you know, I'm just going to like put all the dating down, delete, delete my apps, five minutes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and, and just focus on myself right now. Just be with myself and, um, and, and embrace the th- things I'm doing in my life that are, that are important to me. Um, I think one of the things that I'm most grateful for in my recovery is that I'm not afraid to have the experiences anymore. And um, each time I have a, a crazy experience that comes up, you know, I don't look at it as how am I going to abstain through this? It's, it's, I'm going to abstain through this because I'm going to have another experience that I need to be able to look back and say, Hey, I abstained through that. So I can, I can abstain through this. And, you know, with, with everything we're going through right now, you know, I, I stop and I'm like, wait, well, I abstain through this. I abstain through this. I abstain through this. You know what? I can do this, guys. That's, that's one way that I, that I, um, that I sort of process through a a lot of these things. Um, my, my program has changed over time. You know, I've had to I've had to put the focus on other fellowships and and at the same time still stay connected to OA. It's a challenge. It's not easy. Um, I, uh, um, you know, I never thought I'd get through losing my brother. Like that was pain that I had never experienced. And I had a therapist one time say to me, he goes, um, and this is what program has taught me is that it's about embracing the discomfort because in that discomfort, there's so much humanness and so much, so much, um, realization to have in the pain and in the discomfort. And my therapist said to me, he goes, isn't it beautiful? It matters. He said, isn't it beautiful that it matters? And it really helped me stop and realize like, okay, this pain I'm having is because I love somebody and because I cared for somebody. And it was this shift in realizing, like, that's a, that is a beautiful, grateful gift to have in my life. You know, even, uh, with the breakups I've had, or, uh, even with the work I did with World Service, like, I cared so much. And isn't it beautiful that it matters? You know, I could be worried about so much other dumb shit in the world. You know, at least I'm worried about, you know, my fellowship and the principles of the program and, and, and living my life. I, I do want to say, like, to a quick thing about sponsorship, because this is important for me. I've had a lot of different sponsors in this program, a couple, and I've worked with them for a very, each sponsor for a very long time. And I've also, you know, my ego could also get wrapped up in my sponsorship. 
And in like, that's my sponsor. That's my sponsor. Cause it's like, you know, you identify with them. You, for me, it was a huge ego boost to have like a tough sponsor or to have, to have different types of sponsorship. And I was always very vocal about who my sponsor was. And, um, and this, you know, again, like the, like I said, the book says the main purpose of this book is to enable me to find a power greater than myself that can solve my problems. And I've learned how to trust myself more. There's a lot of areas of my life I don't trust myself. It's, it's a constant struggle for me. Um, but what I do want to say is I, so because of world service, uh, I, with my sponsor, I needed a new sponsor. And I had met this gentleman at World Service. We were on the same van going to World Service my very first year of, uh, of, uh, World Service. And, uh, we were in the same van going to the hotel and he had a cowboy hat on and everything. I'm like, oh, look at this guy. And, uh, um, and, uh, so he, he lives in Colorado and, uh, I, I met him at World Service and then we didn't see each other after that. But I had stayed in touch with him a little bit, and I knew I needed to get a new sponsor. And um, and here, so I got a sponsor who was in Colorado, and I'm here in LA. And it was really good for me to have that someone who's not in, like I I didn't have to identify him as that's my sponsor. And da, 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 da. It was just a different experience that I that I got to have. And um, you know, this is my first time since us working together that he's on this Zoom call. And it's really special to me. This is my first time that I'm in a meeting with my sponsor. And that's, look with everything going on in the world, look at these really sweet opportunities we get to have. And um, he said to me something, I'm going to end with this. I was having a really hard time one day, and I really struggle with, like, you know, that I matter. And um, growing up in an alcoholic household, being the middle kid, having been fat, all that stuff. And, uh, he said to me on the phone one time, he goes, Matt, you are an, thank you. He goes, Matt, you are an important person with important things to say and do today. And, uh, I'm going to say that once more. He goes, Matt, you are an important person with important things to say and do today. And I say that to myself a lot. And I hope that you all can say that to yourselves as well, because we are all important and everything we have to do in our lives is important as well. Thank you for letting me share. Okay, after the 12 traditions read, this is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. If you have a question, please raise your hand and or click the raise your hand icon. All right. Um. L-E-G. Ellie, do you want to unmute yourself and ask a question? Ellie, you got to unmute yourself. On. Yes, I just did. I just did. Okay. Uh, thank you, Matt. Um, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, you talked about experiencing your feelings. Um, what are you feeling any fear? And what do you do? What steps do you use? Whatever it is that you use um, currently when dealing with things that are outside of our control, like COVID-19. Um, so one thing I didn't share is, like, I lost my job. 
I got laid off. And um, what what am I going to do? Like just kind of breaking down the reality of like, well, what can I do today? So for me, I have to just, first of all, I called a lot of people. You know, I made those outreach calls. Um, but then I also just, I just do the next indicated step. I called unemployment. I, I did this. I did that. You know, I, I was very fortunate. My parents wanted to help me out a little bit. So that's, I'm very grateful for that. Um, you know, and here's the thing, too. I didn't feel my feelings right away. It was like a week or two weeks after it where I had like a breakdown and I cried about not just, but just the world, like all the people that are dying, like just kind of getting a bigger view of like what, it, it all just kind of hit me at once. It's like, oh my God, this is such a, a crazy situation that, that the world is in right now. Um, I think it's about not trying to make yourself have the feelings. And it's also about not trying to avoid having the feelings. Like they're just all there. And it's also, again, like I said, it's about the traditions. It, it's really that like, I'm going to choose, like these are outside issues. I can have feelings about all of those issues, but what can I do and what can't I do? Um, and I'm still experiencing it. I, when they told us that we had to start wearing masks, oh man, like I just like, I, it, it triggered me and I don't know why. Um, so I guess just being messy. That was always my message around is just be messy. Just be messy. If you let yourself be messy, you can get through it. If you try to not be messy, that's when you mess up, you know? So thank you. All right. Uh, Sean Michael. Uh, hardly. Go ahead. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay, cool. Hi, I'm Sean. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, thanks, Matt. Thanks for your share. Um, my question to you is how you talked about another program and like sort of restrictive eating. What what's your what's your program now with your food? Like, can you talk about your food and and what defines your recovery, your abstinence as it's related to the food? Like, what's a relapse for you? Okay. Um, so like when I was new, I had a sponsor that had a really rigid absence with, with this group that was in Orange County called the Pizza Box Group and it was very fraternity-like. And then what ended up happening was a lot of those men started to lose their sobriety. A lot of men started to relapse and gain a lot of weight back. And I had to really stop and look at that and be like, is this, is this the experience that I want to have? And why are they having that? And, and, uh, so I, like I said, I, I was basically eating gray sheet, which was like super rigid and, and very, you know, very to the point. And then I, I just slowly started to open up different foods. I started to have fish. I mean, I was literally eating a chicken breast, a chicken leg and thigh with a salad and vegetables every day for lunch and dinner. It was, it was crazy. And, you know, I, I found that I still kept to that model of a protein salad vegetables. And, um, and then I, I slowly will like modify it to kind of fit that box. Um, and I eat three meals a day. So, you know, my absence and my, and my plan of eating are two separate things. But for myself, it's, it just works for me to be like part of my absence is I eat three meals a day, you know, and I have coffee and in between I have cream in my coffee, like all that stuff. So for me, it's just about like wearing my absent like a loose garment. Uh, that's one thing that they, that they say early on. And like, you know, I had started to gain some weight in, in program and I made phone calls. I made, but you know, I made phone calls to people who had a lot longer time than me. 
And like, you know, one, one, you know, here I was 13 years into recovery, never counted calories. And then I realized like that's he, this long time I suggested that. And so now I very loosely like count my calories and I lost the little bit of weight that I had gained. So for me, a part of it is just letting like, there's an ebb and flow in recovery that's different. That's going to, for me is different at different times in my recovery and a willingness to change with it has been a huge part of, as long as I'm doing it with people, then I know it's not my self-will, you know? As long as I'm having open conversation, like, I believe my absence is so contingent upon my willingness to be honest about what I'm doing with the food. And so that's been a huge, huge part of my experience with it. Matt? Yeah. Michael. Hey, Michael. A question, a, a comment before the question. Okay. Uh, I I remember the emergency meeting that you called at the World Service <laughs> back then. Anyway, uh, uh, what uh, to what value do you attach the service that you've given uh, as you've journeyed in OA? Um, I think service, I mean, like I, like I kind of was sharing, I think service has been everything in my recovery. It's kind of where I, it's kind of, I think a big part for me is, Service is where I learned how to appreciate the fellowship for what it is. And which is exactly that is like, it is a fellowship and we, we are, uh, we are blessed to be a part of it and to respect it for what it is. And when we're doing service, we're doing a service for our fellowship. And it kind of, it was that first taste of me getting out of my head and having to show up for things that maybe I don't want to show up for and doing it anyways. Or like when I don't want to show up for something. And then I do, and then I feel better after I do it, you know. And and service is also something that I mean, it's helped me meet meet people who have become super important in my recovery. Um, and and I think the other big thing is just learning that doing service helps you realize how imperfect we all are, and how like oh like this person can be kind of an asshole, but they're abstinent. Like then maybe I can be a little bit of an asshole and still stay abstinent. You know, because we're not perfect. And before, like, when you hear someone share at a meeting and then you talk, they seem like they're perfect, especially becoming in young. I had that idea. These people were, like, so much better than me. And doing service just made people a lot more human for me. Thank you. Uh, let's go to uh, Judy. Hi, Matt. Thank you so much for your share. You're welcome. Could you speak a little bit about you You kind of referenced that you can be an asshole, that you have anger. Can you talk <laughs> a little bit? I could relate to that a lot. Could you uh, talk a little bit about your recovery and how it's related to your recovery in that area? Mm-hmm. So this is, a, this is something that I've really discovered a lot in like the past um, past like 10 months or the past year. So my anger has always been an issue for me. It's it's been an issue for me in relationships. It's it's something I struggle with, and uh, I come from a family where there's a lot of anger and rage. Um, I guess I could label myself as a rageaholic, which is so embarrassing to say. And here's one thing: so I always thought like I had ADHD, and I had been treated for ADHD, and um, and then I went to a different psychiatrist. This is this was when I was. My relationship, I was going through issues with my relationship. I was really looking at my attachment styles in relationship. I was very, I had a very anxious attachment style with people in my life. And um, so 
I did a, you know, and talking with, I had, I had anxiety. For 13 years, I could not meditate. I had such a hard time sitting down and meditating. This is like in recovery. I'm like, all these people are meditating on a daily basis. And I was trying so hard to sit down and meditate and I couldn't. Um, and just things that even having, having time in recovery, I felt were unusually difficult for me. And I got di- here. This is, you know, these are outside things that we talk about outside help. Like I realized through the, through the work I've been doing with outside help, my anger is very connected to my anxiety and I had to go on medication for that. And since then I've been able to meditate now. I'm able to slow down a little bit. I got to see how so much of my anxiety, my anger was tied into my anxiety because I just wanted to be understood and I just wanted you to get me. And with lowering that anxiety, I get to see that, you know, Oh wait, like my head doesn't have to go so far ahead. Um, so that's a huge part of my recovery is I, I, I needed some medication to help me and I believe it's a tool and now meditation is coming into my life and I believe it'll have a shift so that eventually I won't need that outside help. Um, but it's also okay. I, you know why I'm angry because I've been through a lot of shit and I think that that's important to know as well is that behind that anger, there's a lot of pain and a lot of sadness and I'll just end with this, like, uh, around this topic. So like at work, I was, because I worked at a restaurant, I was finding, I was being rude to my assistant, like the server assistants. Like I was, I would be getting like so frustrated and I, I would start to take it out on the people I was working with. Um, and then, and then it would hit me. I was like, oh my God, I'm having grief about my brother. Like I was, I would be, I would be like acting out like an, an attitude towards others. And then like, I was like, oh, wait, this has nothing. I'm, I'm grieving. I'm, I'm in grief about my brother right now. Like, it's a, it was a very specific thing. Um, and it just takes time to know what that is and to connect to it and to, re- and to recognize it. So, hope that helped. Um, Heather C. Hi, thank you for your share. I love that. Even in recovery, you can still be an asshole. That's fantastic. I, I love that. We need to laugh in this Fargo. We get too serious. So thank you. And I just wanted to, could you re-say it again? I have something important to say oh, and do. I'm, that, I'm an important person with important things to say and do today. Thank you. Okay. I'm an important person with important things to say and do today. Uh, I Actually, uh, in these relationships, um, I'm white-knuckling because I, I my fiancé is a norm and I'm not a norm. And we're, in, we're working in the same house. We're working in the same office. We're together all the time. His he has his foods. I have my foods. But um, how did you handle that? Like, if you you know, within your relationships, where they they eat stuff you don't eat, and uh, you can smell it and all that kind of stuff, and you're 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 in a box with them. Um, and and how you handle white knuckling? This way, I'm not white knuckling, and you know, punching mouth, and you're you know, you just you know, like you're just not comfortable to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was, I was never one of those people that got oh, okay. super triggered by other people with their food. Cause I, I kind of looked at it and I just, I just so took those things aren't for me, you know? And, and when You're I, was, to when I was, yeah. And when I was new, I would be really like, I, I had, I went through that experience where like, I have boundaries like, I, I, 
they're going to do it. They're going to throw the hard question at you. <laughs> yeah, well, because I, I just think yeah. that I, I just chose to take it off the off the table. You oh, know? I like, like that. Yeah, just literally in my mind, just totally. Just yeah, like that's their food. And also, also, you know, here's 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 the thing that so I had a actually here's what this is the story. So I had really rigid abstinence and I would only eat certain things. And my sponsor, I, I had a spot once I left that other sponsor, started working with a long a long timer who was a hundred pounder. He goes, so what do you do when you go to a restaurant where you can't get what you don't eat? He goes, well, I, we normally don't go to those restaurants. He goes, how spiritual is that where you can only go and eat at a place that you can, where you can eat? So, so the whole idea was like mm. just realizing like my recovery is so that I can be of service and show up. So like I eat the way I do so that I can show up in the rest of my life. So, and it was, it also freed oh. me to be like, Oh, you know what? I can go to a nice restaurant and, and find something that I can enjoy. And, and that was a huge shift in my consciousness around like, oh, like me enjoying my food, me, me enjoying, like, even if I'm not eating what they're eating, you know, but showing up, it, it, it just was this shift in my consciousness where I was like, oh, okay, like I got to chill out a little bit. You know? Oh yeah, thank you. That perspective of um, that three times a day we get to be centered. It's a spiritual experience. Yeah. I assure you, that's not how I've counseled my meals. It's like I just gotta get through this and stay abstinent and not I'm having, I'm having be a experience horrible person. With okay. with everything going on, yeah. Like, where else are we gonna go? The only thing, the most movement we get to do is when we're making our three meals every day. You know. Yeah. So, <laughs> Walk around the neighborhood, yeah. yeah. So I, I think there's there's a reality to that that even normal people are having. I think it's also like we're not normal, but if normal people are struggling with this, then of course we're gonna struggle with it. You know. Let me see if we can get I got you know, one more question in. I think um, Veronica B. Hi, thank you so much for your share. What a great share! I so identified. I want to know, you, you made a comment about uh, learning to trust yourself. Can you talk a little bit about more about that? Because I'm, I'm absent at 10 years, but I sometimes struggle with learning to trust myself. Um, I think more so in relationships, because I really identified when you talked about your relationships. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, trusting myself. Trusting myself. Um, I really don't. I, I really, really struggle with trusting myself. And um, I think it starts with uh, – um, so I, my therapist actually just came up uh, with um, this practice that – so one thing I started to do in my recovery, and this is in another program, was every time I have guilt and shame thoughts that come up, I would write them down. So I had that, you know, we get, I, you know, we have our three meals a day, we do that. But then I realized even with my thinking, I have to take responsibility for it. And so whenever this guilt or shaming thought would come up or like, oh, I'm a piece of shit or, or whatever, I would write it down. And I was realizing how much I was writing down every negative thought, like how many negative thoughts that go through my head every day. I mean, consciously, I was like, oh, my God, I'm pulling out my notebook every day to write down these negative thoughts that I, that I have. And so for me, being conscious of my thinking by doing something physical to bring that to the forefront was was really important for me. Um, I'm also like having to practice it. So like even with dating, I could see where I would get so wrapped up in in the other person and what they think of me and and, and all that stuff. And um, 
you know, there's a huge, this is a, something that my sponsor said to me in another program, but I think it pertains to anything. Like, for example, with dating, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up, I'll wrap up. He would say, um, he goes, you're not going on a date to find out whether they like you. You're going on a date to find out whether you like them. And I can carry that mentality into every area of my life, which is it's about, wait, does this work for me? Does, do I, does this work for me? How do I feel about this? Do I feel good about myself in this situation? So that was about dating, but it, I think it goes for, for anything. So, all right. I think great. That's- thank you so much. So great. Thank you.